1: Flushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Connecting to the big show.
0: In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget
3: you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The
0: lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves.
2: We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call
0: 1850 715 996.
2: Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96
0: Email opinion at 96FM.ie.
2: The lines are live. Let's
0: kickstart the conversation.
2: This is the opinion line with PJ
4: Coogan
0: on Cork's 96FM.
4: Don't propose to play any of that uh, speech from. Last night If things change We might But not at this Point in time Because we all knew In advance What was coming We discovered About lunchtime Well it it emerged During the show That the curfew For the pubs Was being brought back In at midnight But I think a blind man could have predicted that. In fact, midnight is lucky. I thought they'd bring it back to 10 or 11 o'clock like they've done in many other parts of Europe. Straight out of the blocks this morning, though, Craig has a question. Does anyone know what's the situation with getting the COVID booster vaccine for over 50s? The HSE website hasn't been updated. The GPs are out of the loop. Can you just walk into a vaccine centre or do you have to book? Craig... It's a bit up in the air at the moment, but to the best of my understanding from what I saw and heard last night, NIAC have now agreed that the over 50s can get a booster vaccine. You'll get it six months after your second dose. And one is led to believe that you'll be automatically called by text message to a a vaccination centre. That's the understanding. If anything should change, we'll bring you up to date. But that's my understanding of how the system works. Any cohort of people that is now eligible for a booster, six months after your second dose, you'll get a a text message and an appointment to come in for your third one. That's as I believe it operates. If it changes, you'll be the second to know. As in, we'll know first and we'll tell you. 1850 715 996. Garda Press Office issued a statement to the opinion line in the last few minutes to say the Garda are investigating an incident of criminal damage that occurred at a property in Upper Fair Hill shortly before 12.15pm Tuesday afternoon, 17th November. There have been no arrests and investigations are ongoing. There were videos going around social media last evening of that incident and a lot of different accounts and photographs of what might or might not be going on. Before we came on air this morning, I spoke with uh, local councillor, Ken O'Flynn. Ken O'Flynn, some very disturbing videos going around social media last evening. Can you shed any light on what is going on or what you're being told is going on?
5: Well, it's quite quite obvious what's going on is a carry on from uh, a previous feud. Um, we've seen what happened in, earlier in the day, in, yesterday, in Fairhill, and later, later on, the retaliation in Dublin Hill. I've had people ringing me both from Farnry, Fairhill area, and from the Dublin Hill area, of course, because I'd be the representative for those areas. Look, the reality is, PJ, we have people engaging in unacceptable levels of antisocial behaviour. I've had people that have had to leave their homes um, living nearby out of fear. I've had people that have had problems with mistaken identity, identity mm. that have been locked into their cars for 15 minutes and, and then left go, assault imprisoned. That's the reality of it.
4: The question that people ask us, Ken, when they call the programme is, why is nothing being done about? it?
5: Why is well, it allowed to continue? Look, so, no, the reality is that Every time I make a complaint about it, I'm vilified in the press. That's the reality of it. I'm being told by Gardaí, I'm being told by members of Cork City Council officials, these are very, very uh, sensitive issues. Look, TJ, I'll be straight with you. There's no such thing as a sensitive issue. Antisocial behaviour is antisocial behaviour, no matter what walk of life you come from. Mm-hmm. That's the reality of it. We have to get tough on putting people into houses that are not respecting their neighbourhood, that are not respecting their community, regardless of their religion, colour, creed, walk of life, who they are or what they are. Anti-social behaviour cannot be accepted.
4: On many there occasions.
5: People, on any occasion. But Peter, people are terrorising their own homes. You're talking people inside in private housing estates that have walked all their lives to put a house around them that are still paying back Bank of Ireland, the IB, Ulster Bank, whoever. And then they're put next to people that are behaving in such an intolerable manner and putting, making their lives hell and terrorizing them. Like There's people whose kids are afraid to go out into the park and play football in the green in front of their house. There's people that are afraid to come into their houses at night. There are people now at the moment staying in their sister's house, their mother's house, their grandmother's house because they're afraid to go back to the neighbourhoods the way they purchased their house. Like That's unacceptable. That's something that you read about in the UK or, or you see on an American television program. We never experienced this in court before. But you see, as long as the horse is going to the is going to the well, you know, or as long as you know, my grandmother used to say, as long as the jug is going to the well, to be broken in the end. And it's a very true and old saying for court. Like the reality is here is that you have people that are getting away with it, that are being given slaps on the wrist, that are saying, "I ah, don't do that, don't do that," and if you are doing it, don't put it on social media. I, I,
4: and it's well, with no evidence that they're being told that now, come on. Well,
5: Peter, I, I can I can tell you they are. I can tell you they are. You know that's the reality of it.
4: Yeah, that's the reality of it. Have you spoken because to people, the guardie about this? Yeah. I
5: have spoken to guardie about it. What did they I, say I've, to you? I've spoken to I've spoken to a high ranking guardie who have a very who will tell you that this is a very sensitive issue, and I've spoken to the guys that are on the street that are on the beast, the community guards, who are very frustrated indeed. Who are very upset about things and can't, uh, can't understand can't understand why there seems to be a, a, light, a lightly approach to some people in in, in society. Hmm. That's the reality of Peter. You know that's not true. We're quoting it. That's telling you the truth of what's going on. And P J. What I'm saying to you is that anyone that's engaged in antisocial behaviour of any level, it should not be tolerated. Hmm. Cork City Council has a tenancy book. People sign their tenancy book. People are breaking their tenancy agreements. By indulging in antisocial behaviour, they should be evicted immediately. We should get tough on those that are receiving the hat payment and renting in private houses in housing estates mm. and engaging in antisocial behaviour, because that's not fair on anybody else. And that's
4: you're saying, regardless, fair, regardless of who they are, regardless who of
5: are. Yeah. P.J. If it's Ken O'Flynn, if it's P.J. Coogan, if it's if it's if it's uh, if it's whoever, whether your man, name is Murphy or Flynn Coogan, whatever, if you are engaging in antisocial behaviour if you're causing a misery to your neighbours, if you're putting people's lives at risk, mm. you should not be housed by Cork City Council. You do not deserve to be housed by Cork City Council. And I can tell you now, today I have, I have over 10 appointments to see people that are between homeless services, sleeping in their, the front room with their mother and father's house, going from post to pillar, trying to get themselves housed. People that are in dire straits. Mm. that would love to get help from Cork City Council. And yet people are being housed and engaging in that sort of anti-social behaviour. And who'll get the bill at the end, PJ? That's the question. If these are council houses that are being destroyed, who'll get the bill in the end? The taxpayer.
4: Ken, I'll leave it there. Thank you very much. God bless, PJ. Bye-bye. That's uh, Ken O'Flynn, independent councillor. Ken O'Flynn, those videos are circulating widely. Uh, If you've seen them, any comment anything you'd like to add to what uh, councillor O'Flynn is saying, you know where we are, 1850 715996. Two inquests of interest to us. One is open and one is about to open. The first is the tragic story of Marie and Dara Downing. Marie was 36 Dara was only 4 days old and they died at CUMH in March of 2019 their inquest is currently ongoing at the coroner's court Moraid from the newsroom Moraid have you you've been following this inquest very sad testimony yesterday particularly from Kieran Downey
6: Absolutely, Peter. Yeah, I was at the, the inquest yesterday in the Cork City Coroner's Court uh, before Coroner Philip Common and as you say, a very tragic case and a uh, very sad uh, for the family at the moment. Very tough uh, number of days. It's scheduled in for three days yesterday, today and uh, and tomorrow and after that, uh, you know, it may go into a fourth day. Um, so yeah, as you said, it, it opened, uh, the first witness to give evidence was Ciarán Downey um, and it was the inquest into his wife Marie and his uh, newborn infant son Dara and as you he said there they passed away at Cork University Maternity Hospital in uh, March of 2019. And what he told the inquest yesterday was that their deaths uh, could have been prevented. Um, he told, I suppose, he started with his evidence, You know, he met his future wife in 2005, it was the summer of 2005 and they met, they got married in, in 2012 and uh, they had three kids, their first son James was born in, in 2013, Sean arrived in 2016 and, uh, and Dara was born in 2019. Now, now, going back to March 2019, Marie Downey from Kildare in North Cork, she was found dead in in her single private room at Cumh, and baby son Dara found critically injured underneath her, and he sadly passed away the following evening. Um the inquest was told yesterday that Marie developed epilepsy in 2010, and uh, she was prescribed medication for that. And the inquest heard that she was really, really good for for taking her um her medication to treat that. Now, when she became pregnant with her first child, James, in 2013, she stopped taking her medication for a while up to about the 30 week mark when she actually had a seizure and she went back on her medication at that stage. Now what Kieran Downey told the inquest yesterday was that if there was better communications between doctors and hospital staff, he said that they were among the factors which he said could have prevented their deaths. And um, the day in question was the twenty fifth of March, twenty nineteen, and Kieran told the inquest yesterday that they were all really looking forward, as anyone can imagine, to Marie and Dara coming home. It was the day they were due to be discharged, and it also happened to be Kieran's birthday, and uh, that was the day, sadly, that that Marie was um, was found dead in her room. Um, he told the inquest that James and Sean, his other two sons, they had gone into the hospital on the Saturday. They'd gotten to meet their new little brother. He was only a. So he'd been born the Friday they got to meet him on the Saturday, and they just they couldn't wait to have them home. Mm-hmm. I suppose it being Dad's birthday and a new baby yeah. coming home, it was an exciting day. But uh, sadly, he got a phone call that morning asking him to come up to Cumh, and um, and sadly that that news was was broken to him that his wife had passed away and, and that his newborn son was in intensive care being treated. Yeah, it's,
4: this will in, this will run for a, a number of days, Absolutely. and it's likely to be very very emotional on many many levels.
6: Absolutely, so it's very. Very emotional. He, this was a, another part that he, he told the inquest yesterday. So there is safety statements are published on the cumh website, and when he went to check that safety statement six weeks after the the tragedy, uh, you know, of losing his wife and newborn son, he could find no records of their deaths on that safety statement. It had been published covering the time of March 2019 when this happened, and it recorded zero deaths. And he said that that was very, very devastating. Now, counsel, Senior Counsel for the HSC and CUMH, uh, Connor Halpin was there and he said that both deaths they should have been published in the document and uh, there was an apology from CU- CUMH on that and it was delivered by Mr. Halpin at the hearing yesterday. Now also at the hearing yesterday Dr. Ronan Kilbride, a neurologist he's the national clinical lead for the HSC's epilepsy programme. He said that Marie and Dara Downey's deaths were the result of missed opportunities to treat monitor and prevent seizures occurring now he was asked to review the case by the, the coroner um, Mr. Philip Common and mm-hmm. he said what Dr. Kilbride said that there was a lack of communication between Marie Downey's healthcare providers and a lack of a formal care plan for women with epilepsy at CUMH um, he said that the recommendations of an expert external review panel were the first steps in the reduction of risk uh, to ensure no recurrence and he said that Marie and Dara's passing, is you passing know, under undoubtedly represents inconsolable loss to their family, but he said the lessons learned here, and the most particularly the actions taken as a result of the review and inquest, can serve as an opportunity to improve the health and safety for women with epilepsy in Ireland.
4: As I say, this will continue for Absolutely. a number of days. There's another inquest opening, and that is the inquest into the Hennessy Brothers tragedy. What yes. can you tell me about that, Mairead?
6: Yeah, so it's, uh, it's due to open this morning shortly at 9.30 in Mallow Courthouse, and it's into the murder-suicide side deaths of the three Hennessy brothers that happened in North Cork, so Johnny, Paddy and Willie, they were found dead in Midtlestown in February um, Willie and Paddy, they were found shortly before midnight on February 25th at their family farm and uh, Johnny Hennessy's body was found in fields close to the River function The inquest, as I say, is due to open this morning and it's expected that it will be concluded sometime um, lunchtime or just after that, um, so, so that that should conclude today and uh, we'll hopefully we'll hear more in that case O'Keefe, my colleague, is, um, is at Mallow House this morning.
4: Okay, Maureen, and thank you for that. More Tuig from the Corks 96 FM newsroom on those two ongoing, well, one about to open and the other ongoing inquests of interest to us. And if we have any development on them, we'll certainly bring it to you. 1850 715 I have the highest regard for Councillor Ken O'Flynn, but I have to wonder, what then, if they are evicted? I genuinely don't know the answer. He's doing great work calling attention to it and representing those who are suffering, We've got to see a larger solution from somebody. And John said this is a problem for the guardians of the peace. The guards should be all over this. Well, as Councillor O'Flynn said in his interview, which we did earlier this morning, the local guards on the ground are frustrated. And the senior guy seem seemed to be saying to him, it's a sensitive matter. Eighteen fifty
2: seven one five nine nine six. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Corks, 96FM. With
0: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. dot MIG.ie. Fully focused, what do you mean? Got my eyes on a prize,
2: that's me. Manchester City are the champions.
7: Number one, that's up for the league. The best football league in the world is right here. Firmino with the flick, solid! Fernandes, he's going to go for goal. Oh, what a goal. The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie.
0: Tune in Saturdays as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre-match analysis, live commentary and in-depth interviews with some legends of the
7: sport. Premier League Live.
0: With now, stream live action from BT Sport and Premier Sport with a now sports extra membership.
7: Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Corks 96fm app.
4: Corks 96fm. As I said, I don't propose to go into the Taoiseach's speech of last evening. We all know what was in it. If you've anything to say about it, that's a different matter. You know where you can get us. 1857 083, 396 96, 96 Feel free to pop your thoughts into a voice message if that's what you feel like doing. But we've heard a lot of talk about models, nefit models. There's a new model has just been done taking different things into account. But I'd suspect an awful lot of us don't really know what a model is, what it should be used for, much less how to read and interpret it and we have no idea how they are made and moreover how they change. Professor Turlock Downs is a professor of astrophysics and maths at Dublin City University and mathematical modelling is one of his areas of expertise. Professor Downs, good morning to you. Good morning, thanks very much for having me on. Good to speak with you, Turlock. The, the idea of a model telling us what might or might not happen, what is it, how does it work and how should we read it?
8: So that's a really good question, and, and and you can kind of go between a very long answer and a very short answer, so I'll try and go for the very short answer. Um, Basically, uh, a model just gives us, we, we have an idea of how things work, how something works, like it can be the weather or it can be COVID or it can be the climate or something like that. And we think, yeah, okay. For example, if it's COVID, we know that if somebody walks into a room and they have COVID and nobody else has COVID, then there will be an increase in the number of cases of COVID in that room because that person will infect people. And so, so we have some basic understanding like that. And then we try to say, okay, so if that happens every time somebody walks into a room, then what's the overall effect going to be? And now we've already started building a model because we started out with some basic observation. And uh, from that, we've kind of worked out how the system works overall. And then we try to say, okay, if that understanding is right, then what do we think will happen uh, in the long term or whatever. And I think a great example of this is what we do with weather forecasting, where, you know, back in the 80s, and maybe I'm going back too far for your listeners, I don't know, but back in the 80s, the, the accuracy of our weather forecasting uh, for five days say, so was about the same as the accuracy uh, of our weather forecasting now for two weeks out. Mm-hmm. So what, what, we, what we had back then was we had a certain understanding of how everything worked and we built a model and it was kind of right but not brilliant. Uh, and then gradually it's been refined and refined and refined as we get more observations and we look at, oh, that didn't quite work. It wasn't cloudy on Tuesday. It was actually sunny. So mm-hmm. what went wrong there? And we we keep on honing things. And that's what we're in the process of doing with COVID. So yeah. for weather, we've been trying to figure out whether for decades or centuries and with covid we've had about 18 months to two years at it mm. uh and so you'd naturally expect that we're maybe not as good uh mm. with with covid as we might be with weather and so on
4: we, we've come so, become used to also the the terms optimistic scenario pessimistic scenario but what we're looking yes. for is prediction so so how do we go about finding that or can we actually predict accurately
8: So I think that's, again, that's an excellent question. And, you know, there's a, there's another analogy with weather, which I think people will be familiar with as well, which is the kind of climate modeling and the scenarios that we have in climate modeling. You know, we'll get 1.5 degrees if this and 2.4 degrees if, if, if we don't do this and so on. And so that's so, and they are not predictions. And they are saying based on our understanding of how everything works, if Uh, Things go badly, say, if, uh, for example, the transmissibility of the Delta variant is a little bit more than we think it is. Uh, or happens in slightly different ways, maybe it relies on super-spreading events a little bit more uh, or less than we think it does, then, um, you know, well, what we do is we we put in all these parameters into our model, so all these things that we think, you know, uh, happen, and we take the worst-case scenario of all those parameters, what we think will make the worst-case scenario. And then that is what is published as the worst, the 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 pessimistic, pessimistic scenario. And then you say, well, what about if it's the other side and, and we take the all these parameters and, you know, of how the, the disease spreads and everything. And we we say, OK, let's take the as optimistic as we can for all those parameters. What does the model then predict? Uh, and that's the optimistic scenario. But in neither of those cases are we actually trying to predict what would actually happen, because it's unlikely that, you know, there'll be a certain amount of uncertainty in, in for example, what proportion of cases are going to be hospitalized. Uh, so the optimistic scenario will always say, well, it'll be on the lower end of what we think. So it mm. might be 10% of, uh, 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 or or sorry, that was the old days before the, the vaccines uh, will be hospitalized, whereas we think it might be up to 20%, but we'll go for 10%. And if you do that with all the parameters, we know that it's not likely that it'll actually be the most optimistic scenario for all of the parameters. And equally, we know it's not likely that it'll be the worst case scenario for all the parameters. So you take the pessimistic and the optimistic and you're saying, there are bounds. That's the worst that'll happen, and this is the best that'll happen. And this is always assuming that our underlying assumptions in the model is is correct as well. Um, so, for example, in the the pessimistic scenario that Neffet had, had in in September, mm. um, that they still assume they still had had left out of the model this idea of waning immunity. Yes, uh, and now they've the worked vaccines. that into the new one, so that changes the numbers again. It changes it hugely. Um, And this is again, one of these problems with something like COVID. It's really sensitive to the changes. Like there are some things that you try to model. Like say you're, you're trying to model how an engine responds to the few, the amount of the, the fuel air mix that you give it. You know, you change that a little bit and the engine changes its response a little bit. But with the COVID, you change the input a little bit and the output changes hugely. Uh, so it's really, really sensitive to some of these parameters, which is why some of the models seem kind of ludicrously wrong occasionally.
4: Yeah. Um, so they, That's a they question I there. wanted to get to with you, Professor, because constantly yeah. you see, oh, they predicted this and sure they were all wrong. And the numbers were nothing like they predicted and they were all wrong. They're not meant to be spot on they're not and one of the really important things that should happen
8: then is when you make because i mean you make a prediction right and you hope that you that it somehow reflects reality so if you do give a, a best and worst case scenario if 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 that's not what happens then uh, you know if if what happens doesn't fall between the best and worst case scenarios then you need to go back and you need to say okay we did something very wrong here because uh, it's not right. We haven't made a mistake with the input to the model. It's the model itself that's got a problem. Uh, and in this case, it was the, the lack of inclusion of waning immunity. Um, and then what you do is you, you refine the model and you say, OK, right, we need to put that in. Mm. Now, what does the model say? Um, and similarly, when you when we talk about, say, the the so-called natural immunity that you get from being infected, um, you can make all sorts of assumptions about how effective that is really it doesn't look like it's very effective uh, and in particular it can be very patchy so some mm. people will get good protection and then others just get almost no protection from natural immunity and mm. um, so it's not like the vaccines which are much more effective uh, and so when you when you take into account natural immunity you'll have some assumptions that you make about how that works and if your models just don't seem to reflect reality then you're going to have to change those. So you you're, going to, to change you're going to have them. to acknowledge that your assumptions were wrong, and you need to change.
4: My old maths lecturer in college, when we did a little bit of modelling, he said, "This is done on a computer, but a computer is only as good as the information you put into it." Which I think is what you're you're saying to me there.
8: That's it. It's it's rubbish in and rubbish out. We don't say rubbish, but it's rubbish yeah. in rubbish out is, is the thing.
4: Can yeah. we put? Some, we know now the immunologists and and people in that field are saying to us now that we accept that there is a seasonality to COVID. Can we work that? seasonality into a model?
8: So it's it's very interesting, the seasonality idea, because um, from what I can gather from what I've read, the seasonality seems to be primarily in our behaviour. So, you know, if the weather is cold, well, we're not going to keep the windows open um, so much because it's, it's too cold. And as a result, the concentration of the virus in the air goes up and so more people get infected. Right. Um, so in some sense, the virus may not be What's being seasonal here? It might be us that's that that, that are being seasonal, um, and yes, this can be worked into models. And there's a there's a really really sophisticated model that it's 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 known as the European model. Um, where what they actually do is they run full scale simulations of everybody basically and so they do this by using mobile phone tracking data by using train bookings plane bookings ferry bookings uh, looking at the the travel data on roads and all this kind of thing and looking at where people work and where they're at home and all that and then they actually run a model and they say okay well if these people are if this number of people are infected and they're and the distribution around the community is like this how many are go- more are going to get infected and in those kinds of models, where you are actually tracking what are effectively individual. Now, we're not tracking people here. What we're doing is we're running a simulation mm. and in the simulation, we're observing where people go. Uh, so it's not like we're we're actually tracking people's mobile phones. That's not what happens. Um, and then we say, well, if that person were infected, how many more people would they have infected? Now, in those kinds of models, you can include the seasonality very easily because all, what, what you need to say then is that okay well in winter what do people do maybe they don't go out and play football so much maybe more what they do is they go to cafes um, and sit inside and then you can put that very easily into that kind of model now in the kinds of models that NEFIt uses and that are used, it's it's very very computationally intensive to run those very large models. They're not they're not easy things to run, um, and so in the kinds of models that are used, say that NEFIt would use and other national agencies around uh, around Europe and the world would use, they're a bit more simplistic than that. And what they basically say is, okay, uh, if ten percent of the people are Infected, then let's assume that those 10% are evenly mixed throughout the country, right, which we know isn't the case. I mean, it can't be because if I get infected with COVID, I go home to my kids and I give them COVID, mm. then, then you know, clearly that's me and, and the kids in my house. We're not evenly spread around the community. Yeah. So we don't infect in that, in that very uniform way. And so those models are going to miss things like seasonality. The best thing that you can do under those circumstances is just say that the likelihood of a person, the probability of a, of a person infecting another person goes up in winter yeah. and down in summer. Um, even if that's not technically what's happening, that's the kind of way that you can make that model do what you want it to do. But it, it's inevitably, because you're simplifying things so much, it, it's going, it's not going to be a great approximation of what yeah. actually happens. But you can work it in a little bit. It's just not going to be brilliant.
4: Yeah, Another thing for example that has come to our attention in the last while is how difficult at the moment it is to get a, t- a test in Cork people waiting 24, 48 hours just to get called for a yes. test that's going to throw findings
8: everywhere isn't it? That's, that's Disastrous is the only way to to, to say that um, because what you then have is a scenario where there are lots and lots and lots of cases in the community that you don't know about. And so that's one of the fundamental inputs into the model. Um, so you're putting in the wrong number of cases into your model. And then what's going to happen is your model is going to predict something and probably the model will be wrong because you gave it the wrong information at the start. Um, and furthermore, you won't even know to what extent your prediction is wrong? Because when that, when you know, if, if we predict now, say what's going to happen in three weeks' time, then in three weeks' time, people still won't be able to get tests, um, and so there will still be an unknown number of cases in the uh, in the community. So we won't know whether the model has predicted the right answer. The other thing that could happen is we could ramp up the testing availability, and then now in three weeks' time, everybody can get tests and so we know the number in the community but that would be way higher than our model would predict because we told our model there was only a small number of cases at the relatively speaking and a small number of cases now when actually there were a large number of cases now so if we had told the model the correct information it would have predicted the right answer in 3 weeks time but we didn't tell it the right information and under those circumstances we've got a bad prediction which will lead to bad policy making and we don't know how to fix how to correct our model.
4: Lastly and briefly professor Downs people are listening to what you're saying and they I know the question in their minds who the hell can we believe now?
8: Well, I think that so that's a uh, that's a very understandable question. I mean, the the what what's happening at the moment is everybody is doing their best, right? And when I say their best, I mean kind of our best as a, as a society, this is the best that we can do in terms of trying to understand what's, what's going to happen. So we are in a situation of uncertainty. What we can say though, is that if you look at the, the growth rates, say in, in hospitalizations and ICUs and that now, if that keeps on going as it is, then by Christmas, we will have the same number of people in ICU as we had last January. Uh, and it's not unreasonable to say that that would keep on going. Uh, there's, nothing, there's nothing obvious that will stop that from happening unless we bring in mitigations. And then you, we can ask what kinds of mitigations are best to bring in. And that's very difficult. I loved what, what we tried to do uh, towards the end of summer 2020, where what we did was, I don't know, do you remember, there were, lo- there were kind of local county lockdowns? Yeah, yeah. Um, and in each, in each case, they brought in different mitigations. Uh, And it looked like we were trying to discover which mitigations work best uh, and which are, you know, really inconvenient, but don't do very much. Like, are there mitigations that are not very inconvenient, but very effective? Um, And unfortunately, we didn't really, really follow that kind of thing through. And so now we're looking at a scenario where we still don't really know what the best mitigate, what the most effective mitigations are. We definitely know that a lockdown works extremely well because we saw that even in the Netherlands um, last June when they decided to open up completely. Their cases went mad and then they shut down again and their cases died back down. So we know that lockdowns work extremely well, but lockdowns are very, very like they're they're all sorts of negative things about lockdowns. So it would be great if we could... Try to, now is not the time because the cases are so high and the risks are so high, um, but but if, if we could just keep on trying different sorts of restrictions when we see the cases are rising in certain counties, and then we can say, okay, well, listen, stop going to school, for example, um, and then see what that does to cases in, in, under those circumstances, or stop people going to work, or You know, try different things and learn more about what kind of population level restrictions really work. Otherwise, we're just left with this big sledgehammer approach each time, and that's not what we
4: need. Nobody wants another one. Nobody wants another one. Thank you, thank you so much for your time this morning, Professor Torlock Downs. He's professor of mathematics and astrophysics at DCU with specialty in mathematical modelling. It's a hard one to understand, isn't it? But at least we thank you to uh, an expert like Professor Downs for Being with us, the man is literally, by the way, he's literally a rocket scientist. He literally is a rocket science scientist. Thank you. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's
2: 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor,
0: home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. They can call me Wayne
2: Hilton.
7: Wayne Hilton
2: the
0: on Cork's 96 FM.
7: Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend Survey. Have a go at the Wayne teaser question. There's the latest celebrity gossip. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10
0: a.m. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen, where you can test drive the full Volkswagen range, including the all-electric ID3 and ID4. See NewmarketVolkswagen.ie.
2: On Cork's 96 FM.
9: Can we just
0: talk?
2: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
0: Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396
4: 96 96. On Courts 96 FM. Paula says, I got two booster appointments. These things happen, but it was near or impossible to cancel one of them. I put a lot of effort in. Eventually, I did cancel it. But would you wonder how many of these no show stats are caused by that? Another bit of poor data, as the professor is saying. And I think that's the big learning for us from uh, our, our guest there—that um, there is only as good as the data put into them. Professor Torlock Downs was telling us 185715996. Now joined by uh, Gina and Emily. Gina, good morning to you, Forrest.
10: Good morning, PJ. How are you?
4: Good. Tell me about Rian and more importantly about the Liberator.
10: Um, OK, first of all, um, Reen is five and he's a diagnosis of ASG and Reen is nonverbal. Right. So um, he falls under a public section within the HSC under resource team. And I suppose initially we were working with a PECS program, which I suppose with Reen, it didn't really work. We continued to try at his pace. But with the way the system was going and there was no appointments and mm. you were on an extremely lengthy waiting list, I made contact with Emily that runs Evolve Therapy in Mallow and she was doing in-person um, meetings and i explained to her that my son is nonverbal, and you know i'm looking to seek is there any other ways or forms of communication and she said absolutely there is um several communication devices liberator would be the top um mm-hmm. one the aac um device is brilliant you have 24 7 support so initially I went in and we started to do a trial run with the device and he worked so well. He could request what he wanted to eat if he was sad. Um, also, what he's learning in school, I've, the school are amazing and Scoliscon and Mallow, Linda, and all the staff inside have been amazing. Mm. And he, he was doing so well. And well, I'd be
4: right in saying, Regina, that in Rian's case, he doesn't speak, he's nonverbal, but he understands words, so therefore he needs to communicate and this machine enables him to do so.
10: Exactly. That is exactly it. And um, you know, I did apply I applied through my the public SLT um for funding towards this device. Now I suppose it got you know, she had to, you know, see Rian using the device and see how able he was, you know, able to use it. And I suppose to see him in school, to see how he operates in, at the school settings ac- academically, to see um, could she approve it to go to the next step. And I suppose she did. But then there was a reconfiguration of services uh-huh. and services it it just lapsed everything lapsed um i was ringing her and like trying to make numerous contact with her to see where i was with this application as you don't get any response back from the reg application so I suppose she wasn't answering me. So then I was trying to contact her manager to find out what was happening. I was getting no response back. Mm. So then with Emily's help and she needs help and Evolve, I was able to get the contact number for the HSC and they were like, there's a list, you have to be on a list. And I suppose I was getting nowhere and I suppose I kept ringing and trying to do everything I, I could. But then I made contact with Column Burke, the TD, and I explained our situation that, look, we're waiting numerous months and our time is going to be running up on the trial device. And I suppose with Colum's support and Colum's help and I suppose with the ringing and the emails that we finally yeah. were able to find out where the application was what but, number Rean was on and it's, it's just the system is it's, it, it, it's just absolutely it's, awful It's and
4: ridiculously and slow everything. and like you said a bit like what Joanne was sent to the morning on the programme this reconfiguration bringing, supposedly bringing everything under one roof, that actually worked against Rean. Now tell me the difference between Rean with the machine and Rean without the machine two different little boys I right. think
10: it's two different little boys. Reen is he's very bright, he's very intelligent and he's amazing social skills. That device was taken away from rian He was having a lot more meltdowns. He couldn't communicate. Um, He was just constantly screaming. His whole routine was disruptive and it was so unfair on his teachers that he had to go to school. But, that the, the, you know, Mara and the team above in Scalisegon, that they were struggling to help Rian and, you know, he, like it, it was so hard and it was so tough and it was an absolute disgrace what happened to my son and to all of the other families out there who are seeking support. There was no backup plan. There was no um, public SLT sessions of, look, come on, we'll help you. It's like it, it, they tuned out. They, they completely, literally did absolutely nothing to support my son.
4: Yeah, this is this new configuration which Joanne was so passionate about the other morning and we've had quite a number of people come forward to us since about it. Stay there for me, Gina. Let me bring in Emily, whom we've mentioned and she's a specialist speech and language therapist at Evolve Therapy in Mallow. Emily, good morning.
11: Hi, PJ. Um, I'd like to start with just saying, I suppose, over COVID, um, our team were so dedicated and I suppose when everything stopped, Gina was one of the people that came to us through that period of time. Mm -hmm. Um, And everything, I suppose, where, you know, face-to-face stopped, they went online. And I suppose for families during that period of time, being at home, it became so evident that they needed more of a communication device. They knew that their children needed the ability to communicate. Um, and it's never too late for anyone to access AAC. Everybody deserves a right to, to language. Yeah. It's just the frustrating part for us is we can't apply for the families themselves with the HSE. So the families will come to us. We can do all of the trials for the device. We work with different um, AAC providers. Liberator is one of the ones that Gina used. They're a UK um, and global agency. I, I worked closely with them when I was in Australia.
4: Yeah. And um, tell me, Emily, sorry to cut across you. Is it what is it like? Is it like an adapted iPad or something that the child uses to communicate? Because as, as she said, Rian has words. He just doesn't or isn't able to use them. But the the device allows him to do that
11: completely i suppose the difference with with Rian's device devices it's a lot more than what you get on the ipad and um, the capabilities of using this device long term is huge for him uh, as Rian progresses um with the device, I suppose I have adult users who now use this to go to college, PJ. You know, wow. they can send emails, it can program um, and they function the same way that we do with our, our computer, but have the ability to speak with it. So a, an iPad is limiting and that's where the need for actually getting a dedicated device for a lot yeah. of the younger children, they just don't have access with their fingers. Because so does the
4: liberator learn support. with the child, Emily? Is that it? Is, is that how it is?
11: It, definitely i mean it can grow with different users so again the liberator was trialed to see that this the accent um with lamp words for life which is a therapeutic um approach which is based on motor planning learning so i suppose the key thing about that is for rian when he went to say look for a verb like drink it was in the same location as if he went to find another Um, verb so he would literally have the same motor plan but on different icons on the screen so it makes it easier for a child to get I suppose a language system in place quite quickly and for Rian he did I mean he was working with Sinead one of our therapists all our therapists that evolve are um, LAMP trained we make sure that they're AC trained across the board Um, we have brilliant therapists and you know They worked really well for Rian. He got that device quite quickly. It was immediate that we knew that this was a a ding ding moment for him. Um, And then Gina's dedication. I mean, she took on board everything. She went online. She did so much learning. And I suppose that's something that because of COVID online learning has just become amazing. PJ, you know, there is so much training there for families.
4: Which is great. But th- th- I think the the, the big problem that, that we have is this device is wonderful by the sounds of it. It's it's €5,000, which in, in real terms is a drop in the ocean. But people and, are going begging to get them. It's wrong.
11: And that small, PJ, like, I mean, that's one of our populations that we would serve. I mean, there's obviously children that come to us who've got physical disabilities as well, and they need access to eye gaze or head gaze or head... Um, movement, you know. So yes, it's 5,000 for one child, but it might be up to 20,000. You know, it depends what equipment we actually need. I suppose we do all the trials and we have the families to a point where we know exactly what they need. You know, that takes huge amount of time. Some of the families we see quite regularly so that we find the right communication system for them. What's frustrating for us is then maybe we go to ask uh, a team and you know they may not often have the same level of skill set in AC because that's not their their yeah. area and then we're reliant on getting that person yeah. to make that application for us. Now, they're fantastic. I mean, we have built fantastic relationships with the local therapists in getting that movement quicker. But it's still so yeah. slow. I mean, you're it's, literally giving a voice and stealing it back off somebody. Yeah, It's it, just wrong.
4: It's, it's incredible. And i leave it there with you, Emily. But thank you. Come back to you again, Gina, it is so wrong, isn't it, that, that this wonderful device is out there for your, for your lovely little boy. It's there, it's relatively speaking inexpensive, but you have to go through hoops and, and circles t- to get it.
10: And I was, conti- I was continuing the fight. I had no problem in ringing and ringing and emailing. And just literally, I was going around in so many circles, but I wasn't going to let it go. I think it, it is a very stressful process. But I mean, this is my son's voice. And I will, was going to make sure I could do everything that I could for him to have access to his own voice, which is what he deserves. Yes.
4: Yeah. And now he's got it. And does he have it now permanently? It's his.
10: It's his. um, I suppose I received the device and I just sent it into Emily and Sinead in Evolve to set it up as the public SLT. She doesn't have the training in the device. So I would, Reen would see his access to Evolve therapy. I'm there on a weekly basis. They link in with the school to see have they any problems with their device. And like Linda, R.M. Breed and the team inside there and Dan and Megs, they went out of their way of their own time to do access these courses yeah. online and uh, like they link in so well with Evolve and I'm yeah. like so grateful for them. It's, it's
4: it's fantastic that there are such brilliant people out there, it's just terrible that the system is so messed up that that you nearly have to beg to get access, it's 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 so wrong. Listen, thank you very much, uh, uh, Gina, and um, to Best to Rin and of course to Emily Ahern from Evolve Therapy and Mallow. Thank you both. Can we
9: just talk
4: the opinion line on Corks ninety six FM with
0: McCarthy Insurance Group? Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. Cmig.ie.
4: Do you remember what Professor Downs was saying there in the first hour that a model is only as good as the data you have to put into it and that when you can't get a PCR test it can throw everything out because we genuinely don't know what's accurate and what's not. Well, we've just had someone tweet us this morning at Opinion Line 96 looking at Cork, The Lee Cork, Dunmanway Cork, South Douglas Road Cork St. Stephen's Hospital these are all PCR testing centres there are no tests available there today no tests available, no test appointment available in Cork today for people looking for PCR and that's not the first call or the first message we've had about that, lots of people cannot get a test right now, and that as Professor Turlock Downs was telling us in the first hour of the opinion line today that throws the predictions it throws the models it throws the accuracy so where would you be going? when it's all up in the air like that on the Liberator and Rian's Liberator that his mum was telling us about it's appropriately named says this caller I worked with children with additional needs for 14 years so much of it is just down to them not having a little help I worked with a girl who's just passed her driving test and is going to college. Uh, very similar to what I hear about Rian. 1850 Would How would you know if something was a scam or if something was a real investment opportunity? They do say, you know, that if something looks too good to be true, the chances are that it probably is. And you always like to think, well, I wouldn't get caught in that. But unfortunately, people do time and time and time again. And the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission announced last week that it's been carrying out searches in Donegal as part of an investigation into a potential pyramid scheme. What is a pyramid scheme? Why should we be afraid of them? How can we suss one out? How can we realize that's a pyramid scheme? That's a legitimate marketing uh, operation. Uh, Dr. Moira O'Sullivan is from the Department of Marketing and International Business at MTU. Uh, Dr. O'Sullivan, good morning.
12: Good morning, PJ. How are you today?
4: Uh, Very well, thank you. It's important to be able to tell the difference, but sometimes it just is too difficult.
12: Yeah, I mean, sometimes the... the definition, I suppose, can become a little blurry. Um, So with a pyramid scheme, what you're looking at is essentially maybe I start the pyramid scheme, I recruit you, I promise you, you know, 50% return on your investment, if you report if you recruit six other people. Okay, and what I'm actually doing is I'm taking their money, giving it to you, and then they have to recruit other people. So I'm giving them The money and I'm presumably skimming quite a bit off the top so that I can then probably flee the country in the end (laughs) is usually the end goal. Um, But there have been very famous ones. You know, we think of um, Bernie Madoff, who for many years was, um, you know, considered to be a wonderful investment firm in Wall Street. And it turned out that all it was was a very fancy Pyramid scheme. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. There were no investments at all, and a lot of very famous people and very wealthy people lost Mm. a lot of money. Um, People who you would think, you know, knew a lot about the investment world and would think "Mm, those returns that he's offering are Mm. very good. You know, one
4: one of the things that comes to mind locally is speedball.
12: Yes, so we see a lot, particularly around Christmas, a lot of these startups. So um Speedball um Secret Sisters there was a a flower sort of themed one about you know petals um not that long ago Um, where there were some arrests, I believe. Um, But it it can become, I suppose the issue is with the power of exponential, first of all, the issue is that somebody will be at the bottom of the pyramid and will lose everything. Um, The next issue is that the power of exponential numbers means that that bottom of the pyramid comes much quicker than you could imagine. So in that example that I'm giving where I'm asking you to recruit six people, Mm -hmm. by the time we get down 11 tiers, we need more people than there are in the world to support the pyramid. Ah. And so once that happens, you know, we've again in the 90s in Albania, the entire Albanian economy collapsed because it turned out basically everyone in Albania put their money into a pyramid scheme.
4: Yeah. Now, there's a pyramid scheme and then there's a thing called multi-level marketing and there's a lot of blurring between the two.
12: Yes. So some of the biggest multi-level marketing companies have gotten in trouble with the Federal Trade Commission for pyramid-type behaviour. The famous judgment on Herbalife, for example, is that there's no evidence it's not a pyramid scheme. Um, And so this has led uh, some anti-MLM activists to refer to these as product-based pyramid schemes.
4: Mm -hmm. Um, There was another famous one as well, Amway.
12: Yes, Amway is is the original sort of granddaddy of this. Um, And I suppose some people maybe um, would suggest that Amway's involvement in Republican politics in particular um, is why the MLM structure is legal, where a pyramid scheme isn't. Mm
4: -hmm. Because I know people who made money on Amway. I knew people who made money on Amway. Someone once tried to recruit me into Amway and then I did the maths and I realised, like you said, you know, you need half the population of the world to make a third of the money they were talking about.
12: Well, a um, an academic called John Taylor has done maths on um, income disclosures for multiple companies, including Amway and Herbalife, and his finding is that between ninety nine point nine and ninety nine point nine seven percent of people who enter one of these schemes do lose money.
4: Mm-hmm. Like you can now, have a pyramid scheme masquerading as multi level, can't you? But innocent
12: absolutely. Though yes abs- well absolutely and so um we've seen for example Advocare, which was again a huge um a huge uh, multi-level marketing um business in the US um was asked by the or was told by the FTC that they had to entirely divest their um their multi-level element because it was um Mm. resembling a pyramid scheme we shall say yeah
4: it's it's um, it's, it's, very, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of blurred lines be, between the two but of course we have to presume everyone is innocent until proven guilty there's a new term has come to my mind also uh, murder and it's this what is a dao decentralized so autonomous organization what on earth is that
12: yeah, so this isn't particularly my field, but more and more um there are these sort of investment clubs essentially. They're usually to do with crypto. Now we've seen crypto pyramid schemes, we've seen fake cryptos, we've seen, you know, pyramid uh, scams. Uh, OneCoin is the one that comes to mind and again, you know, there have been arrests over OneCoin. Um there are people on the sort of FBI's most wanted list uh, mm-hmm. over OneCoin. So, um I think You know, I'm I'm not an expert, but I think if you don't understand where the return is coming from, um, you know, particularly when people just throw around sort of um, you know, catchphrases like crypto and decentralized and. A blockchain and you know mm. if you don't really understand that yeah. you know do some research before you get involved in any kind of investment. Yeah. There's
4: 101 apps out there at the moment for your phone now where you can buy and sell and trade and operate in, in the crypto world handle with yeah. care I think very much the message.
12: Absolutely and I think just be mindful of the fact that um a lot of people in the crypto space make their money in selling sort of um training and and classes on crypto on crypto not actually on the crypto itself Mm -hmm. um and and there's a real um within many of these companies including mlms um you are told to sort of fake it till you make it so people will you know show pictures of um you know them standing next to a fancy car or fancy house and saying oh my my mlm or my crypto bought me this when in fact they don't even own The car (laughs) or the or the house. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think just be mindful of the fact that, you know, just because people are saying that they're making a lot of money doesn't necessarily mean that they are. Mm
4: -hmm. Another one that comes to mind. This was a women's clothing brand, I think. LuLaRoe. Mm -hmm.
12: Yeah, LuLaRoe was absolutely fascinating. Um, So about 87 percent of people involved in MLMs are women. Um, that varies by country. Oh. 87 is 87 is Ireland. Um, that is of the registered with the DSA, the Direct Selling Association, MLMs. Um, but it ranges between about 70 and 90 percent, depending on the country. Um, and so Lularoe was, is a um, Utah-based uh, leggings company. Um, which um, was prosecuted by the Washington Attorney General's Office for being a pyramid scheme. Um, they have come to a settlement with the um, Washington Attorney General's yeah. Office, so they are still in business. Because yeah, they had um, a product, actually,
4: so yeah, they they had a. They product. had
12: leggings. Yes, yeah. I suppose the issue is that you can have a product, um, but when you start, um, when when the. Those, profit that you're making or the, the money that your sellers are making is not coming from sales of the product, but rather from recruiting and from their downline, mm. um, that's when you tip into being a pyramid scheme. There's some very complicated maths involved. Dr. Andrew Stiver at the FTC has a very detailed uh, publication with some very complicated calculus mm. about when a product-based yeah. uh, sort of MLM yeah. becomes a pyramid scheme. It's, it's
4: a turnover is not coming from the product itself there's a problem. Yes,
12: if it's if it's not about selling the product. So, if somebody recruits you to say, you know, sell makeup or something like that. There's a, quite a few makeup businesses. But if straight away, it's not about actually selling the makeup, it's about recruiting people to sell the makeup, mm. it's, it's getting into dodgy territory yeah, there like, pretty much. Here's
4: lengthy. an idea, for example. So I'm buying the product, be it makeup, be it leggings, be it whatever, jigsaws, doesn't matter what they are, mm-hmm. right? And I have them at home. And then I am selling them, obviously, to my friends. But I'm also looking to find my neighbor across the road and say, come here, I got this great business idea. I've got this product. Now, will you will you get involved and if he then or she buys product and starts selling out of their house, I get a commission.
12: You get a percentage. And yeah. so does the person who recruited you and the person who recruited them. And is that um, where the problem so arises? That's, that to me is where the problem arises. Um, I think as soon as you get into recruitment, um, you're, you, know, you have the potential to, to sort of tip into um, a pyramid issue. Um, some of the other things that we see is people um, lo- loading of of products. So for example, your garage might be full of the product and your neighbor's garage might be full of the product mm-hmm. and you're getting commission on their full garage, but maybe nobody is actually buying the end product. That would be an issue. Um, um additionally um so it's in my interest to
4: fill their fill their garage for them.
12: Exactly yes. And then because um because these things um have such a large upline and everybody gets a percentage Often, so for example, if it's, you know, an essential oils, you can go and get essential oils at Tesco or Dunn stores or whatever for a much lower price. Now, they, you know, the, the business will claim that their essential oils or their vitamins or whatever are of a higher quality to justify the higher price. But really, it's the business model that creates the higher price. Yeah,
4: yeah. Uh, hey, PJ, I did network marketing for years with Juice Plus. Their business model works really well. It's product driven rather than getting as many people on board as possible. You make no money signing people up. If you make no money signing people up, you're all right, aren't you?
12: But you do make money from their purchase their sales afterwards if you do sign them up. Now, look, the, somebody may be running a very ethical and legitimate business where they're just selling um, the product and they're just making commission on the product they sell. Um, But I would suggest that you need to look at the whole business as a whole as to whether the whole business is ethical. Um, And what we find is overwhelmingly, as I said, 99.9% of people lose money. So it essentially becomes a wealth transfer.
4: Is there a rule of thumb? Is there a rule of three questions that I can ask myself if I'm tempted by something to let me know, is it legit or is it a racket? Is there three things I I can ask?
12: In terms of MLM, the first one is about the product. Um, is the product good, and is there a market for the product? And again, if you're, if the, if the goal is to recruit your neighbour into it, right? They're presumably selling to the same people as you are, right? So you're you're undercutting your your market straight away by recruiting your own competition. So is the product good, and is can you make money just by selling the product, and not just sort of you know guilting your granny into buying one at Christmas or whatever? Is there a, a legitimate market for this product? Um, look at the income disclosure, and that would go for MLMs. Most of them will have a public income disclosure. Um, and look at not just the mean, which is the average of what people make, but the median. So if you have a thousand people making one euro and one person making a million euro, the average will be much higher than the median. Uh-huh. So you need to look at what most people are making, which is the median. Gotcha. Um then, the, I suppose, with these investment clubs, you know, if they're promising you a million percent return on investment or whatever, really just pay attention to how you're going to make that money. Where does that money come from? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's something simple like it, it relies on cryptocurrency going up constantly. OK, if, if that's a risk you're willing but to that take, that crypto will go up. Well, well if mm. it's a risk you're willing to take, only put in money you can afford to lose, there you go. I suppose is, is the biggest point there. Okay. Um, don't Don't sort of bet on you know the world constantly getting better and better because things happen as we yeah. know you know covid can come along and shut down the stock markets or there whatever you so just make sure you understand where the profit is coming
4: handle, from. Handle with care. I know you also have a, a, another a passion outside of this, which is your work with uh, Dog Action and Welfare Group. But I um, would love time to talk to you about that, but don't have it today. But thank you very much for being with us. Dr. Moira O'Sullivan, who is uh, the MTU Department of Marketing and International Business. The old rule of thumb, if it looks too good to be true, the chances are it is. Don't get caught. I mentioned Speedball. Younger listeners won't remember Speedball, but I can tell you Speedball destroyed families. Absolutely destroyed families all over Cork. I remember investigating it as a journalist and being afraid myself for some of the people that I came across while I was investigating Speedball. And... You don't want another speedball. Trust me, you don't want another speedball. 1857
9: 15996. Can we just talk? The
4: Opinion Line on Corks 96
2: FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now
0: for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
2: Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays
0: from midday on Cork's 96FM. Get through your afternoon with all your favourite tunes, brilliant giveaways and everything
2: happening in Cork. Here, straight after The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
0: Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. 96
2: 96 96. On Cork's 96FM.
4: Quick and fear this Friday, all excitement for Free Santa Friday in association with Magical Blarney here on Corks 96 FM. Listen across the day Friday for your chance to grab a family pass for Corks Ultimate Christmas Experience when you way to Magical Blarney at Blarney Woolen Mills. A free Santa Friday only on Corks 96 FM. And also, let me let you into a secret. I will be doing the 10K toy giveaway sooner than you think. Sooner than you think. All right? 1850 We have had someone on the telephone saying that I said there was no PCR testing in Cork today. There is. It's just there's no more capacity. That's kind of the point I was making, but sure. Yeah, there is no more capacity for PCR testing in Cork today. All right? Because Cork, the Lee, self-referral, has no appointments left. Cork Dunmanway has no appointments left. Cork South Douglas Road has no appointments left. And Cork St. Stephen's Hospital has no appointments left. Why is there no appointments left? Because they're testing all day. If you have an appointment, obviously, you can go. But you won't be able to get an appointment today. 1850-715-996 1850 Experts are warning of a variety of alcohol-related health problems, from liver disease to mental health issues as a result of the pandemic, uh, because of the number of people who used alcohol as a crutch to get through the pandemic, to get through the dark days, to get through the lockdown They used alcohol as a crutch and without knowing it they developed a problem. I think those are the people. Uh, Michael Gearan from Brewery, Coonwurra. Those are the people that you're seeing for the first time, Michael. Good morning to you.
13: Yes, good morning, PJ. And I suppose, look, we, we spoke about this on the show on numerous times before. The level of alcohol-related liver disease, as reported by the HSE and the acute hospitals, had been on the increase amongst younger people. Long before the pandemic um, struck. Mm. But this, this latest report that has come out from from the Beaumont, I think, in Dublin, suggests that there has been a 28% increase in alcohol-related liver diseases in terms of admissions to them. So, like, that's that's very, very stark. And I suppose it confirms what we have confirms our worst fears in terms of the pandemic and everything that happened and the baseline stress strain and anxiety that people were under, that there was an awful lot of home drinking going on and that amongst these home drinkers, for many of them, not for a big percentage but for many of them it it turned to problematic dimensions if you like or problematic proportions
4: how many of these would have been people michael who you know they would normally go out and be perfectly sociable and have no problem but there they were unable to go out for weeks
14: ready to pop the question
1: plushcare.com slash weight loss
4: on end and what was eight cans in the fridge this weekend became 16 next weekend and then there was the bottle of wine they drank more and more and unknowingly to themselves developed a problem
13: yes and the way you describe that there pj is very reminiscent of of kind of a consistency of pattern that we are getting amongst some of our inquiries at the moment, where people are telling us that they were reasonably responsible drinkers pre-COVID, um, but that their drinking escalated precisely because there was home drinking going on. There was no portion control, which is the big danger with home drinking. And it's far less expensive than, than drinking in a pub or in a venue. Um And that their drinking began to take on a problematic um, kind of of fashion during the course of that. And, And it's a very valid point you've made there, that in almost every case, people who develop a drink problem are unaware that that drink problem is becoming established until... The 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 horse is bolted, if for want of a better description, um, because people who develop problems with alcohol or indeed, for that matter, any substance, they they wade out into the water to a point that they cannot get back in on their own, and then sadly they are, or happily, as the case might be, they end up contacting a service like ourselves seeking help. Mm, it's, it's, better it they, it's better that it's better that they do, says you. Absolutely. But it is a common thread amongst the inquiries we are getting for alcohol dependence. Um, of late, that we are getting people calling us up and saying, look, there I was, I was doing pretty OK until COVID struck. I was out of work. I may have been isolated and lonely. I certainly had no social interaction. And this whole idea of home drinking took on a new attractiveness for me, which has now resulted in me having a problem. Yeah. So it's it's like we will be dealing with the fallout of the pandemic, PJ, I'd imagine, for many years in terms of issues like this and maybe chronic mental health issues as well that, that, people developed that may not be alcohol related at all but there will certainly uh, an event of this magnitude in the history of our country and indeed the world mm. will undoubtedly leave a mark in terms of things like this as we go forward Would you be dreading another lockdown Michael if it were to come for this reason I I, I would I would and I, uh, without getting into any details I, I see fairly, I can't see a reason as to how, how we won't have another lockdown um, at some stage in the future with the way things are trending, sadly, because I think we will have to do so to protect the acute capacity ultimately. And if that were to happen, undoubtedly, the the effect that that will have on people's well-being um will be tremendous because in the first lockdown there was a great spirit amongst the community yeah um in that people were getting together and helping the more vulnerable and so on and so forth there is a great deal of fatigue out there now amongst people and i feel if we have more restrictions as we come up to christmas and over the winter that people will take these quite badly so what i would be saying and and we've we've issued this a bit of advice before During conversations we've had on on alcohol consumption, people need to be so careful about self-medicating unhappiness with alcohol or indeed any form of discontent because it's a very, very dangerous pursuit.
4: Okay, and and certainly, and I, I think the general mood around Michael, I, I agree with you, a lot of people are now saying they feel, unfortunately, that another lockdown, even a snap one, is inevitable, but they dread it in a way they never dreaded it an, another one.
13: You know? Yes, because people are so sick and tired of it, and I suppose we have to, one of the things we have to do as a nation is we spo- I suppose we have to accept that COVID-19 will be around probably forever and that that we could see going forward that we will lapse in and out of restrictions depending on the stage of the virus and depending on mm. the seasons and so on and so forth. It's a very bitter pill to swallow PJ because it affects everybody and, and you know it is, it's both restrictions on our lives that we would never have imagined three years ago would have happened. Yeah.
4: Just before I let you go Michael we've had someone on the phone uh, wondering can anybody help here somebody in my family says this person needs to go into rehab very badly, is suffering so much, he now has a bed but they won't let him in unless he has a PCR test but he can't get an appointment, any suggestions?
13: Um, I would suggest that that person, if you could make arrangements, that that person would contact me, and maybe I might, I may or may not be able to help them, but we will certainly see what's what's going on.
4: All right, Michael, much appreciate that. As always, Michael Gearan of Brewery House. Uh, if Michael Geerin says he's worried about people developing an alcohol problem in another lockdown, I too would be worried. He's forgotten more about this stuff than, than many will ever know. Eighteen fifty seven We'll maybe put Michael in contact with that caller off the air and see if anything can be done. That sounds like a very urgent situation. On something entirely different, this came in yesterday and I forgot to get to it. We were talking last week about passports, the passport office, the delays in getting new passports, that you could get a, a renewed passport online in a couple of days, but for a new one, People are waiting months on end. Morning PJ, just a quick one. I've just come out of the passport office in Cork, made the appointment this morning, had the appointment and will be collecting the passport Friday. Yes, we paid extra for the urgent appointment, but we got what we needed. And also the lady, Veronica, was very helpful and a pleasure to deal with, even though I was late arriving. So for all the the negative out there, have no excuse about waiting times. Lastly, the behaviour towards the staff, and this is the serious bit, I'm delighted you got sorted. The behaviour towards the staff is an absolute disgrace. Death threats to the security guard. Is this who we are now? Disgusting. I want to thank the staff in the passport office for their amazing, stress free service. Yes, anyone who would do that should be taken away, locked up, and never given a passport again. 1850-715-996. Can
9: we just talk?
4: The opinion line
2: on courts ninety six FM with
0: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. Cmig.ie. Five, four, three, two.
2: Text or WhatsApp now on 083-396-9696
0: your
2: chance to play our 10K toy giveaway. Take you in a straw, pants Cork's 96FM Access All Areas on Cork's 96FM Your guide to
0: nightlife
2: on Side. Hi,
7: it's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Over the years, Lisa O'Neill has quietly built a reputation for herself on the Irish and international scenes. The acclaimed musician will take to the Everyman stage as part of the Quiet Lights Festival this Friday night. Access All Areas The return of the sold-out 2020. Production. What I Don't Know About Autism is a sometimes comic, sometimes heartbreaking journey into the world of autism performed by autistic and non-autistic actors. Written by Jodie O'Neill, it runs at the Everyman Theatre this Saturday night. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us on AAA at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side.
2: On Cork's 96fm. Um, Cork's 96 FM's 10k toy giveaway with
0: Douglas Village Shopping Centre for toys, food, fashion and lifestyle. 50 years at the heart of the village. I got a full of cash money, money, money.
4: Yeah, I told you we'd do it, didn't I? I told you it was coming soon, didn't I? <laughs> and we did it. Loads of toy shopping sprees getting give out. On Course 96 FM at the moment. You need to stay listening across the day for your chance to text or WhatsApp. We just did that. And Diana Coughlin, they tell me, not calling. Good morning to you.
15: Hi, PJ. How are you?
4: Hi. Where are you, Diana? Uh,
15: I'm from Drummer League.
4: Drummer League. All right. So I have for you a question. A Christmas-related question. Mm
15: Mm-hmm.
4: Well, not really, This isn't really a Christmas-related question, but it's a kids-related question. So, Elmo. Elmo is a proper, a popular character from which TV program? Is it A. Sesame Street or B. Barney? Is it A. Sesame Street or B. Barney?
12: I reckon it's Sesame Street. You reckon CJ. right? You reckon right? <laughs>
4: hey. Now, do you? Do you have people who will help you spend the 500 quid if you get it?
16: I do. My son desperately wants a new bike and scooter, which would easily add up to 500. And I also have seven nieces and six of them have birthdays right. before and after Christmas. We need to put so you in
4: had four draws, I think.
16: <laughs> I reckon so. And you know what? I think last year I qualified and I didn't win.
3: So hopefully my luck is in this year.
4: Well, we've already had one winner from the opinion line this year. Uh, right. that happened on Grace Monday, Grace on Monday. So mm-hmm. the draw happens this evening with Lorraine on the B Drive home. You're in that draw. That's the best I can do for you, Diana. Brilliant. So well done Thanks there.
16: Me,
4: Take care. 1850. Thanks, cheers. Bye bye. 1850-715996. That's Diana Cochlin in Driva League. Is it Cock not calling? There's another question that comes up every so often. Where's the border? Where's the border between Cochran and and Colin. Fitzpatrick's shop in downtown is as famous as Trypanderseen. It really is. It's part of Cork and they had a brilliant expansion and a really nice modernisation of the shop in recent times. But now they have a staffing problem. Kerry, good morning to you. Kerry O'Neill. Hi, good morning, DJ. How are you? I'm good. You've got a problem. You've done so much work on the shop. I'm hearing so much about it.
3: But yeah. you can't staff.
16: Yeah, I um, well, to be honest with you, PJ, this kind of all just came up by chance because on Friday there was a journalist from the Examiner arrived in here just to get a bit of feedback about this Kildare village proposed for Tool. And in the course of the conversation, it just came up about us kind of amending our opening hours because of staff shortages. And then I got a call from them on Monday because there was just obviously more information coming out from um, sites like Indeed about what the shortages are right now. And she asked, you know, if they would be able to use us as a case study essentially Mm. so that's how it all came about but yeah as of Monday this week um, we've closed our deli at 3pm on Monday and Tuesday um, which is the first time we've ever had to do something like that. We've also pushed our opening hours back a half hour, we have tightened our Sunday hours in two hours and that's I suppose the first step that we're trying to manage what's going on right now.
4: Why is it just people aren't presenting wanting work or what's the story?
16: Yeah, I. You know what? I obviously we have a lot of local businesses come in here to us to supply us, and um, I think there's this is going on across the board in lots of businesses, which I know a lot of people have heard. And I suppose part of the reason that I kind of agreed to to do this yesterday was just because, you know, some businesses aren't being as affected as much maybe, um, and so people aren't experiencing that in their day-to-day lives. And really, it was just kind of to flag what's going on, so customers know that when they come into our business as well. Um, first of all, about the opening hours, um, but also about our team more than anything, because as everybody knows, the last 18 months has been so challenging with a global pandemic. And honestly, if somebody told me in January when we knocked the bar next door to us that a pandemic was going to land on us in March, I don't know if I would have gone ahead and done it, mm. if I'm honest. Um, but you were committed
4: look, to it at that stage, weren't you?
16: I was. I mean, we, I mean, one of my relatives said, look, it's, a, it's an open space. Now, do you want to just leave it as a car park? But this, this, this job has has been, I suppose, two and a half years before we began the build in the making. Um, And I suppose that was, you know, it was an opportunity for me to to take this business forward, which I really wanted to do. If I'm very honest, I wouldn't have even hazarded doing that, only that we have a core team here with us, some of them that that have been with us over a decade. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's only with their support that I felt I could take this leap and go ahead and do this. Um, But, like, we've obviously looked... They've been through what everyone in retail has been in in this pandemic, which has been really challenging. I mean, things changing daily, weekly at the beginning, still masked for eight hour shifts a day, working with ovens. It's not easy. And, you know, every business has been addressing this in different ways, but um, our team has been amazing through all of this. And that's my main thing here, I suppose, is that like a lot of our core team are with us well over a decade. And um, they've just they've taken all this on board and they've just ran with it. And in the Mm. midst of all of that, they've moved buildings twice into a a shop that's two and a half times the size of what we were. And they did that, you know, (laughs) I'll say with with barely flinching. But, you know, they've worked hard. But it's now
4: too big a space for them to work the way they used to. How many additional correct. staff do you need, Kerry?
16: um right now, I have probably twelve vacancies to fill, right, which doesn't maybe sound massive, but our team is about seventy people right now um so and it's twelve kind of full time you know, obviously, with some experience or experience in a field that the skills you know can translate across. Um, yeah. But I think this is happening across the board, and it's just what's happening for a lot of businesses. And I spoke to one of my reps even yesterday, who said, "In you all now, it's very difficult to get food because businesses have closed for the full month of November, or they're closed for a couple of weeks, or they're closed for you know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesdays." Um, and it's just changing the service that businesses can provide. Because look, we love looking after our customers. That's what we're about here. Um, mm-hmm. We've been turning down business since September, which sounds mad when we've just opened our shop in September yeah. fully. Like, and we're so proud of everything that we've done and our team have yeah. helped with all of that. And as I say, I can't sing their praises enough no. because they've just been incredible. If anybody which,
4: yes, hasn't heard about, about it and if anybody would like to come and work for you, can they just walk in?
16: Uh, they can walk in but ideally they could send an email with their CV would be amazing um, and uh, yeah as I say we're looking for checkout staff we're looking for a chef we're looking for um, delicatessen staff um, you know a kitchen porter things like that so this it's, and it's full time hours but look you know PJ I, I won't lie retail hours you know they're not easy hours no. either because no, no. it's weekend work and you know I read something yesterday that there's actually 25,000 less people in the workforce in Ireland this year than there were last year so when you think about that that's a massive number um, so we're not the only ones you yeah. know struggling with this and I know that um, but the main thing I suppose is just for people to have a bit of patience that you know our team are working hard here and just to be kind okay. for, to people I did get one lovely lovely call yesterday in the midst of all of this from a, 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 a lady who's a customer I don't know her but she said herself and her husband were at home reading the article yesterday they're both retired and she's just wondering if there's anything they could do to help me out for a day in the week
4: oh, that's <laughs> That's lovely. Listen, Kerry, good luck in staffing uh, the new store and uh, good luck with the new store. I hope it all comes together properly and takes off for you. That's Fitzpatrick's in downtown. Kerry O'Neill is the owner. And there's lots of people who just can't get workers. 185715996. We've talked about wind power and wind farms and even we've talked about offshore wind farms one thing we haven't talked about on the programme before is floating wind farms. Now, how that would work, I have no idea. But Val Cummins is the MD of Emerald Project and the director of Simply Blue. So tell me, Val, how does a floating wind farm work? Good morning.
17: Good morning, PJ. Um, So floating offshore wind is an enormous opportunity for Ireland. Um, As we all know, we have an incredible... uh, Um, maritime um, area, we have a, a sea area that's seven times our land mass and floating offshore wind um, essentially is really suitable to Irish waters, particularly off the south coast here uh, and as well as the west coast, because it works in deeper waters than the traditional fixed-bottom uh, wind farms that have been deployed offshore thus far. So over the last 20 or so years, we've seen fixed-bottom uh, wind turbines. Ireland was actually one of the first countries in the world to, to put in a, a fixed-bottom wind um, farm off the coast of Arklow. Mm-hmm. um, And since then, we've done very little. Um, but if you fly over the North Sea or over the Baltic, you will see the places absolutely littered with them, and for all the right reasons in terms of a clean, green source of energy. But the big difference between what has preceded floating wind with the traditional um, offshore wind sector is that the traditional approach is to pile the turbines into the seabed, yes. and that's how the foundations are secured. To anchor them With down. floating yeah. wind, it's yeah. about anchor. Exactly, it's anchor system of anchors and moorings um, to secure the the, the the wind farms in place. And essentially what floating offshore wind is, it's a, it's a combination of existing technologies. So for example, the, the offshore oil and gas sector would be very familiar with offshore production platforms and they're secured with similar systems of anchors and moorings. We're familiar with wind turbine technology and what floating offshore wind does, it basically leverages those existing uh, techniques and puts them together. So it's basically a wind turbine that mm. is secured to the seabed with um, anchors and moorings. Right. And and it's so exciting in terms of the prospect of this being deployed off the Irish coast, because Ireland has got a huge resource in yeah. terms of wind, in terms of the sea area. Yeah.
4: The and wind is it's, always blowing out, out there. So if you put windmills out forward. there, you can generate
17: Spot on, and that's another advantage of floating offshore wind because you're further offshore. Um, then the the capacity factor, in other words, the amount of wind that you can harness, is optimised. The closer you get to the shore and onshore, you have more sort of turbulence and so on to sort of take into consideration. Yeah. So you get a really optimised capacity f- factors with regards to floating offshore wind.
4: So, so is there enthusiasm, or, or is there the drive to to get it started?
17: Yes. Yeah. So, look, I think um, in the programme for government last year, it was absolutely fantastic to see Ireland set out an ambition for 30 gigawatts of floating wind um, after 2030, Okay, So, to put that in some kind of perspective Um, all of the the energy system models are indicating that we might need up to about 27 gigawatts to get to net zero by 2050 so we can basically satisfy our own indigenous needs in terms of renewable electricity and um, powering other sectors that are harder to abate with electricity through our natural resources with regards to floating offshore wind that's just to sort of put it in a broad perspective Mm. Um, so the programme for government was just a fantastic, it was like the lights went on and Ireland has been considered as a really attractive market for foreign direct investment. And a lot of investment is needed to deliver these. So, for example, as you mentioned, I'm the managing director of the the Emerald Project, which is a joint venture partnership between Shell and Simply Blue Group. That's aiming to build about 1.3 gigawatts of floating wind off the Cork coast. That will take the best part of the next 10 years to bring that to fruition. Mm. It will also take a capital investment of circa $2 to make that. And where does that come from? So the government last year said, we'll, I, I'll, I'll come to that. I'm just going to address your question in terms of, you know, are, are we going to go forward with this? We have in the, uh, the Programme for Government an Ambition for 30 gigawatts, but just last week the government published, or two weeks ago, the Climate Action Plan and failed to really put a target in for floating wind such that we're out of the blocks and that we're able to gear up this decade such that we'll be able to really scale up in terms of developing this economic, environmental and climate opportunity for Cork, for the region and for the country in the next decade. And that's what's at stake here.
4: So they haven't delivered on what they said they would do so far, at least.
17: I I think to to be fair, um, there's an awful lot of work underway in terms of creating the right kind of planning system for our marine environment. It's important to acknowledge that. Um, we have been working in terms of offshore um, with really archaic legislation, the, the foreshore lease and licence legislation goes back to 1933. So the government are doing an awful lot to address that. And we expect and anticipate to see new legislation in relation to marine area planning, hopefully by the end of the year. So that's tick. That's fantastic, but we can't then just stand back and yeah. pat everybody on the back and say great because there's so much more that needs yeah. to be done and yeah. in particular yeah, it was disappointing. And of course the problem is investors, uh, you know, investors need is one thing, invest- a target is another.
4: Yeah. Investors need clarity and everyone's looking for their money so the best plan will get the best investment
17: Inve- Absolutely Absolutely, and investors do need certainty, and we need to, you know, we need to see a movement towards that from government, and particularly for Cork, because this is a huge story for Cork PJ. I mean, you think about it for years. I've been talking about Cork as the, sort of the maritime capital of Ireland. We look back in history at what we have. You know, why did the British Admiralty come into Hoboken and Cork Harbour and develop it as one of the most significant provisioning hubs um, for their, their their global activities? You know, we've had the heydays of shipbuilding down in Verome Dockyard, um, Hall is the the headquarters for our national naval service. You know, in the dockyard a couple of years ago, some of the listeners might recall the amazing um, project that um, assembled the Lieber cranes and and put them on a vessel to take them out of Cork Harbour and across the Atlantic. Um, At the moment, as we speak, the Kinsale gas fields are being decommissioned. There's a huge amount of traffic in the harbour with respect to making that project uh, come to uh, a close. And so, you know, Cork has got one of the largest natural harbours in the world. A fantastic maritime heritage, huge capability with regards to offshore because of Kinsale gas. We are home of the National Maritime College of Ireland. So we have an opportunity to make sure that we can train and, and, you know, upskill in relation to all of the uh, talent that we will need in this locality, whether it's welders, IT people, engineers, project managers environmental scientists, et cetera, et cetera. So Cork has got so much of an opportunity mm-hmm. that it can seize here. And it's linked to developing of the port. It's linking to the developing of the supply chain. And I think, you know, at the national level, we need to see the legislation move. We need yeah. to see a commitment to floating wind in the Celtic Sea. And in particular, what I'm, I'm really, just really pleased to have the chance to be talking to you about this, it's about the stakeholders of Cork and in the region coming together to understand that this actually is the, I would say, the economic opportunity of our generation. This is a green industrial revolution that can happen on our doorstep and we need to be shifting the dial in terms of making projects a reality this decade and not saying this is about far, far away or the next decade.
4: Sounds like something that could be huge for Cork and for the country and for the whole climate agenda. So, good to speak with you. We might talk again. Val Cummins from Emerald. Project Offshore wind. The grandest idea of all time. If only the planning laws made it as easy as it should be. Ain't that the story?
9: Can we just talk?
4: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
9: Call
0: us now, 1850-715-996.
2: On Courts 96 FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. 96 96.
0: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
2: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
0: On Cork's
4: 96FM. Mm, Valerie was on, having heard Kerry from Fitzpatrick's in Clown talking about the fact that can't get staff. My daughter is in Leaving Cert says valerie she's tried to get a job in the evenings and at weekends she sent in a lot of cvs to different places with no luck she's been told she needs experience so businesses are crying out for staff why can't they give the young people a chance thanks pj keep up the good work says valerie of course it's the old question how the hell can you get experience if you can't get a job to get experience in it doesn't make sense 1850 Just on, I just threw it out there for what it's worth The Cochlan versus Collin debate It's as old as Cork itself Where do you cease to be a Coughlin Or cease to be a Collin And become a Coughlin Tom Walsh says I think it's the border The county border But then the Irish for the name is O'Cochlan. So England, and English often has a silent G-H Like Do So the more rural or Irish-speaking the area more likely, it is. Well, if you look at it, Tom, there's dough, which is D O U C H, and then there's cough, which is C O U G H. D O U G H and C O U G H. Dough and cough. You wouldn't make bread out of duff, and you wouldn't say someone had a bad cold. It's all confusing. <laughs> For the crack. 1850 715 996. The last time that I spoke to Miriam. Let me try and paint a picture of the circumstances. Miriam was driving across South Africa with her boyfriend. They were on their way back from a couple of days at the beach to get back to the apartment where they were staying. And lockdown came in and there was a curfew and there had been a storm. And Miriam and the boyfriend had to pull in to a police station to get a permit to stay driving to get home in the storm and not be held up for breaking curfew, and what happens in the middle of all that? This Egypt called her for a chat. Everything came off well afterwards, didn't it, Miriam? Good morning.
15: Good morning, PJ. How are you? Do you remember
4: that night was mad?
15: <laughs> oh my God, yeah, that was that was a crazy night. It took us about six hours to get home when it was meant to be two hours or something.
4: Yeah. Yeah, and at that stage, yeah. like, there was lockdown and there was curfew and the whole thing.
15: Yeah, it's just everything at once all just piled on top of us. <laughs> the, now, call, the call broke up the journey a small bit, though.
4: Yeah, the call broke up. Remember, we had to reconnect a couple of times, too, because you had to keep him... Get him I mean, yeah. I'm sure he was fit to choke me, because you had to get him to move the car a few times to get a better signal.
15: <laughs> yeah, we did.
4: <laughs> all right, listen... So you lost your phone. I mean, for someone like yourself, whose phone is your business, you actually lost yeah. your phone. What happened?
15: I Well, no, I actually, I left my phone on the roof of my car. This was a few weeks ago. Um, and I drove off, like, I just, I just reversed out of my drive. And then I realized, oh, I left my phone on the roof of the car. I got out and the phone screen was all smashed. Mm-hmm. Good. <sighs> And like I know people do it with cups of coffee and everything like sure, I've done it before, but when it's when it's when it's my phone and it's my job and everything, I was stressing because I didn't know what to do so, um, my mom took it into paramobile for me, uh which is a shop, they have one in Wilton, yeah, and they have one in Limerick in Dublin as well, and they're an Irish run family uh, repair shop, but sure. uh they had, they, they for they you. had it done. They had it done in, like, an hour. It was absolutely brilliant, so I was delighted cause, with, cause that. You,
4: with all the TikTok stuff that you do, like, how, how long a day do you spend on your phone?
15: Um, I, actually, you know, I, I I don't... I try not to spend as much time as, like, what people, I guess, assume I do. I, I kind of set a nine-to-five kind of thing for me. Because, right. like, I have to do emails and then the, make the content and... Edit videos and stuff. So I suppose I would spend more time than the average person. But for like browsing and like scrolling and stuff, I don't actually spend that much time doing that. Yeah,
4: like what? You 1.6 million on TikTok yeah. now. Right, that's yeah. <laughs> how long are you on TikTok, Marie, at this stage?
15: How long am I on it? Yeah um i'm on it now a year and a half i started this at the end of march 2020 so it was kind of a lockdown of a, project mad. wasn't it it was yeah it was it was a it, exactly <laughs> um it, i just kept posting videos through lockdown i was posting about six videos a day at one stage yeah. and it just grew very quickly and
4: yeah. 1.6 million subscribers
15: yeah
4: <laughs> and about 20 million people just watching it without without necessarily subscribing every week yeah come here yeah, i think are, are you yeah. buying a house in barbados anytime soon
15: uh <laughs> i know not not anytime soon i i'm very i'm such a homebird, like i love ireland and everything so i'll be staying put here for a while anyway yeah. but you still live with your mom it do you no, I've moved out now. I, I live in an apartment kind of flat with Tia and my boyfriend. So, okay.
4: yeah. Oh, he came back. He, he, he was the reason you were in South Africa, wasn't he? Yeah,
15: yeah he was, yeah. We went over there and uh, he came back then and now he's living here with me. Ah,
4: Good, good, good. Yeah.
15: So, so.
4: talk to me about developing the size of following you have on t- Like, Don't tell me for a second that when you sat down to do this as a project in March of 2020, it would become a 9 to 5 full time job for
15: you no i never in a million years thought that, that would be the case like i the reason why i started it was because um i was living in the states because i was working over there and i came oh i came home because of covid like they made us come back home and everything cuz i was on a work visa and the place i worked in closed mm-hmm. so they made us come back home like and I was isolating in my room for two weeks when I landed, like, and I tried not, I had nothing else to do. Like, I was so bored in my room. Like, the first two days I was watching TikTok and then I just said, you know what, because I'm a very creative person. I was like, well, I just make a few videos, just see how they go. Mm What was the first video
4: you made about?
15: um, I'm sure it was an Irish Mammy video. I think I was, I think my mom was maybe, I don't know, I was just, I, I always do my videos based off true life experiences, so... I think I just did it on an Irish Mammy video or something. <laughs> Use my mother as inspiration. <laughs> yeah.
4: And then you see one, two, 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 two thousand, three thousand, four thousand like
15: this is mad. Yeah. This is mad. Yeah. I think when I started it as well, it was very very new and like it it was very easy to grow, I guess. But now TikTok is getting quite saturated. But um I mean there's still there's still room for people to, you know, grow a platform and mm you know, get themselves out there and stuff, definitely. Have, have but, uh, you figured out did what did the
4: it. attraction of your videos is? Is it that there's real life stuff?
15: I suppose so, yeah. I suppose so, and like, you know, um, I kind of do a bit of everything. Like, I, I first started off doing skits, but now I do, like, tips for starting school and tips for, um, like, just different things, really, just to help young people and stuff. Yeah.
4: yeah, It's been great for you, and I know that the last time we talked it was... They were struggling to get home in South Africa. So are you Uh, staying put in Cork now or are you going on the move again?
15: No, I'm going to stay put now for a while anyway. um, Just because... I don't know I love home, and like all my work is in Ireland, and you know i I kind of move up and down between Cork and Dublin a lot because I have a lot of things going on in Dublin as mm-hmm. well, but mostly like i like I like being at home and stuff, and mm-hmm. sure I have a dog now and everything, so oh, I, I sure. can't go anywhere <laughs>
4: <laughs> what's, the, uh, yeah. what's the dog called uh Lucy
15: Lucy yeah all right
4: all right Willis. yeah, and of course you're a mammy's girl let' let's be fair about this you're a mammy's girl, that's why you're stay at home for mammy's cooking
15: oh yeah. Exactly. Sure, I can't go. I can't go a night or two without my mum's dinners. Like, so have to. (laughs) I I live very near my parents as well, so it's great. Like, I'm only a few minutes up the road. Like, so it's grand.
4: So, what's next? I mean, the videos will keep coming.
15: What's What's next? Do you think? Um. Well, I'd love to get more into like TV work and stuff. I've been doing a bit of that recently, and I absolutely love it. Um. But I suppose I'd love to bring out a brand of something or a product or that's kind of hopefully in the pipeline. Um, So hopefully now in the next year or something, I'll bring something out. But it's all researching and brainstorming Mm. at the moment. (laughs) Tightened times though. Yeah, no, it is. It is. And I'm really grateful I have the platform I have that I can do things like that. And, you know, there's a lot of opportunities that I can make out of it. What what kind of um,
4: television show would you like to do, Miriam?
15: Um, well, I was on the Late Late Show a couple of weeks ago, and I would love to eventually maybe present that or something. I don't oh, know, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. So something like that, or I don't know. I love. I'd love to do a bit of TV presenting.
4: Really? Um, and you, you ch- even, You'd like to challenge Ryan for the t- for the? Yeah.
15: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
4: I would love it, yeah. And if you were doing a show like that, who'd be your, your dream guest if you had one? Okay, I've given you a television show now, okay? Yeah. And we'll set up the studio and I'll tell you, Miriam, you can have any guest you like. No expenses spared. I'll bring them in and sit them opposite you. You have one choice.
15: Um. Okay. So I'm gonna. Okay. If it was somebody that that's dead, I would say Michael Jackson. Right. I just. I'd love to interview him. And if it's someone that's alive, um, I'd probably say maybe someone like Adele or Meryl Streep or something. Meryl Streep. Yeah. I just. I'd love. I'd love to. Interview, she's one of my favorite actresses. Or Sandra Bullock. Actually, I love her too. Oh
4: no, there we're talking. She's
15: yeah, my favorite. I love
4: she's my Sandra favorite. Sandra
15: Bullock. Oh, she's my favorite as well. I love her.
4: Brilliant, brilliant.
15: Yeah. Uh,
4: Something like Good Morning Britain, maybe, if they picked you up. Do you know?
15: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Who knows? Who knows?
4: (laughs) Miriam, good luck to you. Great to catch up. Thanks. Great to chat with you. Miriam Mullins. You'll find her on TikTok, as as 1.6 million people already have, and about 20 million people a week watch her videos. And you know what? There's an awful lot of old guff on TikTok, an awful lot of old nonsense on TikTok, but there's beauties like. She's actually really funny. She's very, very funny. 1850 715 on Coughlin versus Colin. The old ones are the best. A listener rang in to say there are two different names, and over time, misunderstandings have been built up, especially by people like of official Ireland who equated the two. Colin with a U is a more dominant name in Cork. The pronunciation people use is probably to do with whether their original spelling had a U or which one was enforced on them by the teacher or by the first person educated in a family. Yet there is a there is a Colin with a U and a Cochlin without a U, like Eamon Cochlin has no U. But I did hear a fella, the last time this came up on the programme, someone rang in and said, they have called themselves Coughlin because their parents pronounced it Coughlin to be posh, if you don't mind. Uh, love Miriam, love, um, love, Miriam's TikToks says, Yesy. Uh, Michelle says, We love Miriam. My daughters met her at a camogie match in Kilworth. She was so nice, and she took pictures with my girls that were talking about it for weeks. It's a star in the making. 1850,
9: can
2: we just talk? The opinion line on Corks
4: 96 FM.
2: With McCarthy Insurance Group,
0: call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. C M I G MIG.ie. Fully focused, what do you mean? Got my eyes
2: on a prize,
7: that's me. Manchester City
2: are the champions
7: number one that's top of the league. The best football league in the world is right here.
11: Fermino with the flick, shut up! Fernandez, he's going to go for goal.
7: Oh, what a goal! The Premier League Live, powered by Top Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. Tune in Saturdays
0: as we ramp up the excitement for the day's biggest games. We'll bring you pre match analysis, live commentary, and in depth interviews with some legends of the sport. Yeah, up with the
7: The Premier League Live. With now. Stream live Premier League action with a now sports
0: or sports extra membership.
7: Listen every Saturday exclusively online at 96fm.ie or download the Corks 96FM app. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
0: Call us now. 1850-715-996.
2: On Corks
4: 96FM. No, no. There is a name. Coughlin that is C-O-F-L-I-N or C-O-F-L-A-N I was talking about people whose name was C-O-U-G-H-L-A-N pronouncing it as Coughlin to be posh Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. Reminder, the Premier League live back on Saturday at 96am.ie with Trevor Welsh, powered by TalkSport. Live coverage this weekend. Leicester City versus Chelsea at 12.30. Aston Villa v. Brighton at 3.00. And Liverpool v. Arsenal at half-past five. It's the Premier League live with now. Join in the experience with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership and listen Saturdays on the Cork's 96FM app or indeed go to 96FM.ie. After the announcements yesterday uh, from Antishek, a lot of people are asking the question, well, will we be able to have a Christmas party this year? Because some workplaces had been considering a Christmas party or a Christmas get-together, and some of the hotels were selling Christmas corporate nights. If it's a thing that it continues up to the Christmas season, all those nights, even if they go ahead, will have to be done and dusted and everyone got off the premises by 12 o'clock. So is it time now for companies to revisit the idea of a Christmas party? and maybe have another Christmas without a party, or have a virtual party, have everyone get together. This is one idea I heard last year, that everyone got together on Zoom in their front rooms, and they all got done up, and they all got takeaway, and they had a party on Zoom with everybody at work. It's not the same, and we certainly didn't want to be doing it again, but who knows? We might have to. Mary Connerton is director of Cipt Art Cipd Ireland, and they're the professional standards body for workplaces. And it is something that is ha- going to have to be considered in the light of the the new reintroduction of restrictions, isn't it, Mary? Good morning to you.
14: Good morning, PJ. Um, Yes, unfortunately, we're now in a situation where um, companies do have to step back and evaluate whatever plans they had around bringing people together or um, recognising people over Christmas. Um, You know, when companies are being asked to make sure people are working from home more and bringing in other measures, um, you know, you have to actually step back and say, is bringing a large group of people together a high-risk situation, and should we be doing that? And we are here of companies who are changing their plans around this. Some of them are postponing it and saying, well, look, we don't know what we can do. So let's not try and do it maybe in December and let's Mm. try and schedule it in in the new year. Um, as you mentioned, a number are moving um, online, and I know it's not necessarily what we all wanted, because we'd, we'd much rather be together and have that social connection and enjoy ourselves. But you know, many companies made it work last year with, as you said, you know, getting dressed up and having the having the the meal and um, together. Or we had lots of quizzes and parties and singing and pulling out the the um, skills and the talents of people that we don't often see, mm. um, and. I mean, another consideration too around now is outdoors is far less risky than indoors. So is there an opportunity for even small teams to be coming together in a more outdoor environment to do something that would be sort of energizing and support them on a, a social basis? It's important to make sure whatever is done is inclusive. And the risk that we're here now is that more and more with individuals being a bit nervous about going into a group situation um, with their colleagues, that the event won't be inclusive. So some people might be prepared to take the risk. Others won't, maybe for their own health, maybe because of who they're looking after or who they want to see over Christmas. So for us, like being inclusive and making sure everyone can access what you're going to provide is important. And the physical parties will struggle with that more
4: this year The other thing too isn't it Mary is that the the work Christmas party no matter what way you, you, you draw it up it is an extension of the workplace so if a workplace is operating to a certain standard of compliance it must organise its Christmas party along the very same guidelines
14: Absolutely, yes. Employers have a responsibility for the health and safety of their staff. And we've seen all the measures that have gone in over the last 18 months. And as part of that, employees also have a responsibility to look after their own and their their, their colleagues' um, health and safety, those that they deal with. But certainly once it is an event that is organised through the workplace or paid for by the workplace, it becomes a workplace event. And hence employers have a responsibility to step back and say, are we increasing the risk our staff of our staff by holding this event and and um, you know they've invested so much in keeping people safe that now isn't the time mm. to throw caution to the wind and take any risks around this
4: something else as well in that let us imagine that a company has an arrangement made for say the second friday in december and now because of these restrictions, that won't be able to to go ahead or, you know, best practice would mean it doesn't go ahead. Is the company then within its rights to say to its employees, and we would very much prefer if you didn't organize anything off your own bat either?
14: Um, They can say that, PJ, but that's not something they can impose. So if three or four people are a small team, go out to lunch together, it's not Really, within the remit of the employer to say, "Don't do that," but then it's not a workplace event. And yeah. um, it's when the employer is paying for that that it becomes a workplace event. But if two or three of us go off to lunch together, you know, that's different. And um, now we should always be making sure that the venue we're going to is is fully compliant, yes. and, and you know that you know that that it's that that's important. But that doesn't become a workplace event. Mm, and yeah. um, but still, people need to be conscious of the risks that they're taking.
4: Yes, there are the risks. And they're the first and foremost. The other thing, too, of course, is the company reputation and social media being what it is. One must be very cognizant of optics and how it looks. Uh,
14: Definitely, yes. Um, I mean,. most companies now are very conscious of that and um, not only do they want to do the right thing but they want to be seen to do the right thing. But it's not just about the optics, they actually need to be taken precautions to make sure that their employees are safe. So yes, things would be commented on social media. They'd be commented on social media probably whether people, you know, when when an employer cancels something even, you know, or when the employer holds it. So either way can get a a social media response. Mm. Um, But we're also encouraging them to sort of step back and think what else can you do for employees because traditionally the Christmas party has been a reward and a recognition for mm-hmm. the work that people have put in over the year and we're saying step back and think about how you could um, support them from a well-being perspective and maybe give people some time off so you know if you're cancelling Christmas party give people the afternoon off give people a day off whatever you can work within your um, your business and um, to recognise the contribution that people have done mm-hmm. you know sort of say this is your personal time mm-hmm. go and do what you want with it and in a sense, that's a bit of recognition and that's a bit of a reward, um, you know, to, to to replace other activities that might have been planned.
4: Maybe one or two more general questions, Mary, one or two coming in with regard to working from home, because, you know, those of us who who can work from home are now being encouraged once again to work from home. And we've also got rules, new rules brought in about isolation. Could you ask that lady in a small shop now Do vaccinated people have to isolate if one member of staff goes down with the virus? Is it like the new rules for families? This is thinking about someone in a small, tightly contained place like a deli, for example. Um,
14: So, um, if somebody in... um Delhi is a close contact. The HSE are changing their rules around that and really I think we'll get more insight on what they are. Yeah. So certainly the employer does need to follow those rules, does need to in essence mean put the person into not working in on site if they are a risk of spreading the disease. Yeah. Um, so yes, there that is going to, to yeah. tighten up so more people are going to end up in self-isolation than bring, they have done it, it, it leads
4: to a broader question too Mary which comes 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 up from time to time and you know if you have to isolate for five days because you're a close contact or whatever, then you're out of work for five days. An awful lot of people might not get paid for those five days. And that's hard.
14: Yes, yes. And one of the things, and it's not well known, PJ, is the government have a payment scheme to actually pay people while they're off, um, either because they've got COVID or because they have to self-isolate. It was brought in at the same time as the PUP and it does pay them a weekly wage that they can get if they have to be out of work because of COVID-19. So right here, I know
4: know it's there if you get diagnosed with COVID-19. I know you can get a certain level of sick pay, but if, you, if, if, for example, my wife gets COVID-19 and I'm a close contact, I need to be at home for five days, am I covered?
14: Um, well, I understand that uh, if the HSE tell you to self-isolate, you will be covered. Now, you might in your family circumstances, uh, that may work a different way. Um, but, you know... My understanding is now I am conscious that they are looking at this and, and by the end of the week, yeah. we, could have clar- we could have different clarity on it. So I would say to people to check the HSE website by the end yeah. of the week yeah. um, or the government website to just be firm on the rules for that. Yeah, but certainly the intention is that it will stop people mm. who can't work from home and who are losing money.
4: Yeah. That's that's a difficult one for people, particularly in places like retail. You know, you don't go in, you don't get paid. And at this time of year, with Christmas to be paid for and houses to be decorated and children to get clothes and shoes and presents, you know, people people are going to take a chance. And that's unfortunate. Just on working from home, and this is a kind of a flippant question, but I guess it it, it does have merit. Supposing a phone provided by work caught fire and your house burned down. Whose insurance covers that? I know it's trivial, but we've had one or two people talking about the equipment that they've brought home to do their job at home. If anything should happen to their house because of that equipment, who's covered Well, um,
14: what... Most employers are, we understand, are telling that, are are making sure that all the equipment at home is covered by the insurance, by the company. Now, what we are saying to employees to be on the safe side is to tell your house insurer that you're working from home. Now, this does not have a financial implication. You're not charged more. But what you're doing is you're being very transparent with your insurer that you actually are working from home. Mm You know, now it would take a legal case to actually define who exactly is responsible because at the end of the day it's did the responsibility lie with the piece of equipment that was faulty yeah. or was there um, was it about the behaviour of the individual which might have nothing to do with the fact that they were working from home but be, be about they just happened to be at home when they were doing something wrong. So does it's not as black and white as it might seem but what we're saying is so that employers should be telling their insurers that they have people working from home so that there is some coverage and that and um, employees should be telling their house insurer that you're working from home. And then it's very transparent. And mm. we know that, that insurers are not charging more when you, t- when you tell them that.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, if you work in a small group and one person refuses the vaccine and you have an underlying condition, what are your rights? Because we have a big problem with we don't know who's vaccinated and who's not. We're not entitled to know that in our workplace?
14: That's right, PJ. We're not entitled to know. And all the workplace safety protection measures are not dependent on people being vaccinated. What they're trying to do is to keep people a social distance and wearing masks and in ventilated spaces so we minimise the risk of spreading the disease. Um, So there isn't really an ability to treat somebody who's not vaccinated any different from somebody who is vaccinated. Like in, this,
4: in this person's condition now, or in this call, the, the, the guy who's not vaccinated is going around the place practically boasting about it.
14: Yes, and we do know that happens. Um, in practice, somebody who's not vaccinated is the biggest risk to themselves. I think we sometimes forget that, that when we get vaccinated, we do that to protect ourselves. But what I would say, if somebody has a medical condition and feels compromised, they should be picking that up with their employer and having a conversation mm-hmm. um, about what it is in terms of the way they work so that they can work safely. Because they are a slightly mm-hmm. different category if they are at a bigger risk.
4: You, you have and a right be to be not. As- you have a right to a safe workplace and safe conditions in which to work under, is it the 2005 Act?
14: Um, Yes, but the reality is what the government have done with the work safety protocol is say, here's the things you need to do in your employment to keep people safe. And that does not say people have to be vaccinated. It is not built on having been vaccinated um, so therefore um, an employer isn't entitled to know, um, now most people are very transparent about it um, but an employer isn't entitled to know and doesn't use vaccination status around um, who can and cannot come into the work it's using things like keep your social distance wear your mask um, you know, behave properly in common areas, they're all the things that an um, employer is expected to do mm-hmm. and it's if they're. In breach, uh, you know, employees should be raising it and having those addressed.
4: Okay, listen. Good to uh, talk to you today. That's Mary Connaughton, the director of CIPD Ireland. They're the professional standards body for employers. Oh, it just gets more and more complex with every twist and turn in this blasted road. Right from the HSE website, special leave with pay for COVID-19 applies when you're advised to self-isolate and are displaying symptoms or if you had a positive test. Appropriate medical stroke HSE confirmation of the need to self-isolate and or a diagnosis of COVID-19 will be required. Special leave with pay does not apply if you're restricting your movements or if you're in the very high-risk category and are cocooning. Employees in these categories are facilitated to work from home. That doesn't, kind of, doesn't answer the very direct question. Like, take somebody who's a close contact of a family member, or a a family member, as of yesterday, if one member of the family has COVID-19, the whole family must isolate for five days, whether they have COVID or not. Does this cover person losing income who hasn't got COVID but must stay at home. I'm confused by that. Let's try it again. Appropriate medical HSE confirmation of the need to self-isolate and or a diagnosis of COVID would be required. So presumably the HSE text that tells you you need to self-isolate should be enough to claim Payment for the days you miss. That seems to be the case.
9: Can
2: we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor,
0: home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Can we just
2: talk? The opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text
0: or WhatsApp
2: now. 83 396 96,
4: 96 On Courts 96 FM. Oh, crikey, this is, this is complicated to say the very, very least here. Uh, special leave with pay for COVID-19 does not apply if you're advised to restrict your movements by contact tracing. While you're restricting your movements, you shouldn't attend the work premises. You must notify your manager as soon as possible so they can make appropriate arrangements. You'll be required to work from home and your manager may assign you different duties outside your normal role to enable you to work remotely during this period. If you have symptoms of COVID-19 during this time, you should contact your GP who will arrange a test for you. See, I'm just wondering on that one there, like what if you work in a deli? or what if you work in a in a in a shop or what if you work in a garage sorry what element of deli work or garage work or supermarket work or any other different kinds of work can be done from home that's a, that's a flaw in the system 185715996 reminder to you every year in cork thousands of you get together to help fight homelessness with cork simon by wearing your christmas jumper to raise vital funds. This year Corks 96 of M with Cork Simon is asking you to host your Christmas jumper day whenever you feel safest doing so. We're all talking about doing things more safely from today. Uh, things are changing, so do it safely. If you're if you're going working from home, do it from home. Do it online. Do it with your friends and colleagues and your family maybe overseas. Do it on Zoom. Just do it. You can get a fundraising pack to help you at Corksimon.ie And then join Cork's 96 M to help fight homelessness in Cork. 1850-715996. Now the Cork Choral Festival is to come into the workplace as part of its 67th annual event. 67 years of the Choir Works, the Workplace Choir program, will be back as part of the 2022 cork international choral festival peter Stobert is festival director good morning peter good morning why Thanks bring it back me. it was really really successful obviously there's an appetite to bring it back
3: there absolutely is yeah it was really successful last year we it was online uh, video competition last year we had 19 entries, which was which was great um and th- that's in the competition and within that We had um, seven or eight or nine, actually, uh, companies uh, where we went in and actually set up the choir for them and and sent them a choir leader to put that video together. Now, of course, um, I'm just hearing you announcing all the new rules about working from home um there and here i am saying well let's set up a choir in the office um uh, if it uh, obviously will be uh, flexible and adaptable it's very likely that some of that will be um online videos once again we're yeah. hoping it's going to be live and in person as well um but we'll we'll have to see of course and, and mm-hmm. we're looking to start um with all these after after christmas in january
4: when when is the festival
3: the festival is the very end of April. It's the bank holiday, the May, the first May bank holiday
4: weekend. One, one so would at, at least hope, April. anyway, that we'll be back to some sort of uh, normal by then.
3: Absolutely. And we're just encouraging companies to, to get in touch with us and we'll make it work somehow, whether it's online or, or in person. Right. Uh, as I say, we're, we're really hoping, you know, the, the whole arts sector is hoping that we're, we're not going to be shut down once again, having
4: sure got... So- so if any workplace is up. listening, and this line isn't the best in the world, if any workplace is listening that would like to get take part in the choir works as part of the festival in 2022, where do they start today, right now, Peter?
3: Um, a, send us an email or look at our website, corkchoral.ie, and, and they can find information there. And just get in touch to start with, and we can, we can sort them out in whatever way they think best and we think best, and the, um, the circumstances
4: dictate. Okay. All right. Thank you, Peter, Festival Director of the Cork International Choral Festival and Choir Works back for 2022. Just on wind and wave power, a couple of people have phoned in with quite specific points about Irish government causing Cork to miss out on having a major industry around wind and wave power because they deemed wind and wave to be of questionable economic viability back along. But the government didn't take into account that companies and institutions were looking for test cases And Ireland, especially Cork, was ideally noticed, or ideally located. Yeah, it it, it seems to be, from what we're getting the gist of, that years ago people were saying, actually, wind power, wave power, Cork Harbour. And I do remember people talking about this down at the Maritime College. When I was down at the opening of the Maritime College, they had this massive vat, it's like a bath that they do all sorts of experiments in and I remember talking to engineers down there and they were saying years ago about how we could actually generate electricity way, way, way offshore way, way, way offshore so yeah, they've been top of this for a while I had to take a bus home yesterday it was packed to the rafters had someone sitting next to me, sniffing and coughing for the journey, two behind me telling people with them they didn't get vaccinated and they were better off for it And then the government wants us to use public transport. They should have restrictions again on the buses so we don't have people sitting up on top of us. That's from D. Completely forgot this message that came in yesterday. Can we discuss the fact or mention the fact that a cork musician called Lenny and Cork songwriter Bill Mabry sang on America's Dancing with the Stars recently. This is huge. The semi-final and Lenny's vocals were singing Live Your Life. That's a huge achievement for Cork musicians. The semi-final of America's Dancing with the Stars. That's, that's a big one. They don't get much bigger than that. It's been a busy, busy one, my goodness, so it has. Uh, where are we going? To? I did have one more thing I wanted to get to there. Uh, I've lost it now completely. <sighs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a few things as well with, yeah, the mitigation. And we can come back to this. At all, at a time when they're telling us to mind ourselves and get back to the old habits of sanitizing our hands and wearing our masks and doing all those things, almost all banking and retail sectors have significantly reduced COVID hand sanitation and distance emphasis. And it's only by sticking with the basics will society Keep its guard up. Yes, there's a lot of places not properly supplying the hand sanitizer and not properly doing the distancing, and that, my friend, is part of the problem. Program edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, just after nine.
9: Can we just talk?
4: The opinion
2: line on Corks 96 FM. With
0: McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Feels good.
2: Corks yeah. 96 FM's 10K toy giveaway
0: is here. I, I, I got a pocket full of giving away loads of 500 euro toy shopping sprees for
2: free.
0: For free. Take you on a shopping
2: spree. Listen to Casey and Ross in the morning and all day long. Then
0: text or WhatsApp in for your chance to win.
2: On 83 396 96, 96 Feels good. Cork's 96FM's 10K Toy Giveaway.
0: with Douglas Village Shopping Centre for toys, food, fashion, and lifestyle. 50 years at the heart of the village.
2: Only on Cork's 96FM.